1: You're listening to the Pure Desire podcast. Your safe place to find hope, healing and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal and relationship issues. What's up people? I'm your host Trevor Windsor and you're listening to episode 230 of the Pure Desire podcast. Here joining me as always is my co-host Nick Stumbo.
2: Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Um Brady Bunch The Brady Bunch Dude. I could
1: have just done that as the intro. Brady Bunch Dude. Could have sung a little.
2: Here's the story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I watched that show a little bit growing up. Um, That's impressive because it was before my time, which means it was way before your time. Thank you. A lot of reruns. Thank you for honoring my age. Um, Yeah. I. I'm interested to see how you tie it in today. Um, so today we had Heather Kolb, our neuroscience expert, content manager, speaker, author, all the things at Pure Desire on um, to talk about the different types of trauma that we can experience and how to he- bring healing to each of them.
2: Yes, you know, and in the Brady Bunch, you had a divorced or widowed guy with three sons, marry a divorced or widowed gal. I can't remember what, what the story was. But in that blended family, you know, there was trauma, there was unresolved issues. There was family of origin stuff going on all over the place, but obviously that's not what the Brady Bunch focused on, right? They just kind of tell these interesting stories and they're always this happy family and, and they had the normal family squabbles, but I, I bring that up because I think for a lot of us, we try to live in kind of a Brady Bunch world. Like we know there's stuff there, but we'd rather just try to smile and get along Mm -hmm. and make it work Mm -hmm. and not recognize that we all bring things to the table. Right from our past, from our families, from things we've gone through, and even mm-hmm. from present circumstances yep. that are impacting us. And if we just try to put a Brady Bunch smile on all of it, mm-hmm. we're going to stay stuck. And I really think that's what today's conversation was about, was giving ourselves the grace to look at the trauma in our lives, yeah. identify it, and then look at how do I move through it so that I'm a healthier yeah. person um, for my family and
1: and for the world around me. Yeah. When I see someone bypass their trauma now, I'm going to be like, you're so Brady bunching (laughs) right now. Stop it. Just start singing. (laughs) the Brady Bunch. (laughs) This is a really good episode. Uh, I do feel like it's going to be really, really profitable for you. But a couple things, uh, actually three things before we get going, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. We're on all the major platforms. You can also follow us on social media and keep up with these full episodes up on YouTube. And then um, Nick, something we don't talk a lot about on the, I mean, we reference a lot in the podcast, but we don't push or promote it all that often. And it's something I know that you've seen a lot of healing through and it's Pure Desire Counseling. Um, what encouragement would you give people who maybe feel stuck or maybe feel like they have a lot of trauma to pursue counseling?
2: Yes, well, we certainly give encouragement about counseling in, in yes, today's podcast, <laughs> so it's good to talk about this. That, yeah, uh, Pure Desire really is a leading organization when it comes to providing top-notch, biblically based counseling, and particularly for um, for couples to be able to walk through a process together. That's something that's made. Pure Desire unique for a long time is that our primary care model is to work with couples as couples. Yeah. So in a husband and wife relationship, they both have a male and female counselor that are walking with them through the journey um, and helping them understand themselves and what's going on in the relationship. And that can be so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've really put it into a significant one-year process yeah. that as a couple's walking through recovery, they will be led through stages yeah. of of healing yeah. that we have just seen consistently um, are what couples need now we also work with individuals um, if your spouse is not ready to heal, whether they're on the struggling side or betrayed side, we're here to help and walk with you and then we also uh, can do trauma-based recovery that doesn't necessarily have that that one year time stamp on it it more may be more determined by the level of of um, of care someone needs, yep. but all of that starts kind of through the same funnel of doing a pure desire evaluation, which is the other thing that I love about our counseling. That if you are asking that question, do I need counseling? I always say, well, do the evaluation. Yeah, um, it's it's a, it's you know five hundred dollars for an individual, seven hundred for a couple, somewhere in that neighborhood. But what you're going to do is you're going to take three or four online significant online yeah, assessments. Hefty. And then have a, an hour and a half meeting with a counselor to walk through it all. Yep. And they're going to do this thorough evaluation of your life and where you're at. And, and based on their professional experience, mm-hmm. they're going to make a recommendation to you yep. about what you need. Yep. And at that point, you know you can decide to just be like, well, forget it. I don't really want to yeah. do this or to take it and move forward. But I just think what a moment of clarity yep. that, that couldn't all of us benefit from to let someone under the hood of our lives, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Let let someone who knows what they're looking for poke around in all the right places and ask the right questions right. so that then we can enter into a process that really leads to change. And, and that's what Pure Desires Counseling is all about. Incorporating all the things we know about brain science, but also doing it on a deeply biblical foundation yep. of faith in God and yep. his healing power through Jesus. Um, and it's unique. There's not a lot of, of groups out there doing what we do. So. Um, I hope for those that are listening, if you've never considered it, maybe after today, uh, after this little moment and the podcast itself, maybe you will think about taking that next step.
1: That was probably one of the best plugs I've ever heard you give wow. for anything. Well, so well there you done, go. sir. Um, so if you are interested in counseling, go to puredesire.org counseling and look at, we have free consultations and we also have this evaluation process that Nick was talking about. All right. Here's our conversation with Heather Kolb on healing different types of trauma heather cole welcome back to the podcast
0: thank you happy to be here
1: yeah we're glad to have you back um okay so in the realm of sexual addiction and betrayal trauma we talk about specifically through our training through itap uh, the Inter- international institute of trauma addiction professionals um, we've noticed that there are different types of trauma and why trauma is important is because when it comes to our addiction or it comes from healing from betrayal uh, trauma is very much a part of it. Our wounds motivate those behavior. And so if we want to see healing in those areas or those struggles that we have, we need to find healing in the trauma as well. So we wanted to look at these different types, if you will, of trauma. And so uh, let's just start with this first question. What are the different types of trauma and can you describe them a little bit for us?
0: Yeah. So um, from most of my research, I've there's like three different types of trauma that people will experience. Um, Acute trauma, which tends to focus on one single big event. So somebody who has um, experienced a sexual assault or rape or even a big accident that maybe they lost a loved one. Something like that 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 is going to really just happen one time in their Mm -hmm. lifetime. The next one is chronic uh, trauma, which tends to be... um, multiple traumas that happen multiple traumas to or around them that happen in their lifetime and then the third one is complex trauma which can have elements of chronic trauma with it as well but with complex trauma specifically it focuses more on trauma that has happened between people and usually in interpersonal, interpersonal tra- yeah, yeah interpersonal exactly trauma. interpersonal relationships where um, either like a child with a caregiver mm. or a spouse has experienced some form of betrayal and and because of the perceived relationship it, yeah. it adds this extra layer of trauma.
2: Yeah. And within a lot of the pure desire groups and workbooks that we have, we've kind of reduced it into two categories of Mm -hmm. the big T trauma, which is things done to us, the infringement, which would largely be those acute traumas that Heather, you're talking about, or little t trauma or trauma of abandonment, things that have been kept from us. And I think sometimes if we're not leaning into um, you know, going to a therapist to deal with trauma, right. if we're just trying to work through it on our own, sometimes those two categories, to just ask the question, what was done to me, or what was kept from me, yeah. can help a person kind of identify what might be sources of trauma in their life. And with that, I would also mention, because a lot of people in group will feel like, well, I didn't have much trauma, yeah. I didn't go through that much, or my yeah. life was pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, author Gabor Matei makes the statement, he says, trauma is not what was done to us, mm-hmm. Trauma is what happened inside of us. Mm. And so the trauma we're really trying to get at is what did our brain interpret about the things happening yeah. around us? Yeah. Because there is that reality that some people can go through very, very difficult things. Mm. And what happens inside them internally isn't as traumatic. Right. Versus another person can go through something relatively, mm. you know, maybe in a social perspective, relatively minor, but the impact on their brain and their thinking because of their family of origin and the context of it and the way it connected to their emotions and feelings. Yeah. And maybe it was some major impact right. because of what happened inside of them. And so the the whole point of identifying the different kinds of trauma, I think is really for us to express trauma is a part of humanity. Yeah. Trauma is a part of, of living. Mm-hmm. And so for all of us to recognize what are the types, what are the places, what are the areas where we've experienced trauma yeah. or that our brain is interpreted as trauma? Because when we see that, then we can start to actually face it and deal with it. Well, and and
1: something too that's interesting, because I would say growing up, I was someone who didn't feel like I had that acute trauma, that big T trauma, that something was done to me. And so when I came to this area of, or this, really this process of getting healthy, I was like, well, what do you mean trauma? Like, you know, my parents are still together. I've never been, you know, abused or... What You mean fill in the blank? And for me, what I found myself doing was comparing trauma. And what's Mm -hmm. great is when you know that there are these different types, it does two things in my mind it does. um, It reduces shame for you that – What happened to me, even though it doesn't seem compared to other people as this big thing, it can still have a big impact on me and my life and cause brokenness to come out sideways in multiple different ways. And the second one is it helps me understand and be able to better relate to other people who maybe have experienced lesser or little T type of trauma compared to maybe some of my bigger moments. And it gives you compassion toward that person where it's like, you know what, I know that, you know, it seems like on the outside your life is perfect and what do you have to complain about? But then once you get under the surface, you find that they have these messages and these wounds that have happened over and over or been such a small level that have built this huge mountain of trauma over time. So I think it allows us to um, see ourselves with more compassion and also be more compassionate to other people.
2: Yeah. So as we've identified different kinds of trauma and ways that it might come, uh, is the impact or the damage of the different kinds of trauma the same, or is it different based on the different kinds of trauma we experience?
1: Yeah. In my experience, uh, the answer is yes. Um, I would say there's, uh, I have a really big Um, It was about four years ago, this really big thing that happened in my life and this really big trauma moment. And um, I have noticed, and I've even described it now with my counselor, with friends, with my group members, that um, it feels like everything going on in my life right now is tethered back to that moment where it made this major impact, where it felt like you can still feel the vibrations of that explosion, if you will. Um, And I think that for me, those right now, that's a harder thing to shake. I find myself... um, it almost feels like it's the foundation that I'm walking on every day as if my decisions are being made. And it's easy for me to point to that. It's easy to see, okay, what's happening right now. It's easier for me to point to a one specific moment. When it comes to little t, those are the more difficult ones. In my mind, they're tend, they tend to be more, more covert um, where something that I didn't feel like I got a lot as a kid was credit for um, how hard I was working or how well I was doing because I was compared to other people. And so what that has made me want to do is, is perform and live to a high level and accomplish and all these things. And so for me, I learned a, a lie, a message about myself, which I think over time is actually more damaging than that big right explosion in, um, in my life. But I just see that one having a longer term because every decision I'm make is going to be based on what I believe about myself or my situation. And so I see that having more impact. I don't know if I can identify the complex. Um, Maybe if I, you know, well, that's something I'll talk to my counselor about next time, (laughs) that betrayal piece, but but definitely big T, little t. I've seen that in my life and the impact is definitely different.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think that, uh, Nick, when you were talking about all of the things that we bring individually to the table, you know, our personality and our temperament and our past experiences and, and how all of those play a role in how we perceive Mm -hmm. an event or what we, the feelings we walk away with. I think that that plays a huge role in the impact that any type of trauma would have on someone. I think there is an element or a truth behind the fact that if we have um, any type of trauma, that is unhealed or unprocessed trauma, and then we heap more trauma on that, and we heap more trauma on that, and we, you know, and we continue that process, I think the impact and um, the damage that's done could potentially be greater just because of what it's doing in our body and our brain in that process.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think what I hear you both saying is that the differences in trauma tend to be more person to person. Yeah. Than it does between different kinds of trauma. That that there's not a predictable uh, roadmap we can just give people to mm-hmm. say, well, you, if you experience trauma A, right. then you're going to have you know yes. this impact in your life. And if you've had trauma B, it'll feel like this because every life, every person is different. Yeah. Uh, but what does occur to me about this question, the impact, whether it's big T trauma, little T, you know, acute, chron- chronic, or complex, that it can have a similar impact on someone's life for any of the traumas. Yeah. Because if you think about it this way. What what trauma does? One of the main things it does is it kind of keeps us stuck in that moment, or mm-hmm. it takes us back there. Yeah. So the person that's you know lived through a war, they might have flashbacks because of noises or smells of being back in the yeah. war. Yeah. But in a similar way, maybe someone that grew up in a, a very silent, you know, high rules, low relationship kind of home, there may be sights or smells that take them back to that moment yeah. as well. Now they may not be you know hearing gunfire and seeing explosions, mm-hmm. but they're they're having the emotional feeling of being back in their childhood home. Well, for both of those people, you could see the impact might be, it's what causes them to numb out and use something like alcohol or pornography because they don't like the way they're feeling. So two totally different kinds of trauma, two very different experiences of what it's taking them back to, but the impact can actually be the same. And that's what I think um, is one of the messages of this podcast, and we've talked about it before, that we don't wanna try to compare or, or rate like, well, my trauma was a lot less, therefore, right. I shouldn't be as stuck in it. Yeah. Because it's just so different person to person. And the impact from big T acute trauma can mm-hmm. be similar to the lasting impact of someone that experienced little T or chronic trauma. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So how can we tell then what type of trauma we've experienced?
2: Well, to me, I think this is where the group experience can really help, or yeah. having a counselor or a therapist. When you're able to sit with other people and really tell openly and honestly your whole story, um, I, I think that gives us the ability to see it more clearly, to tell that cohesive narrative. That's something we talk about in the seven pillars of freedom group that we, we may be living in a layo- layer of denial mm-hmm. or rationalization or yeah. minimization about our trauma because it's the only thing we've known. You know, we can all only live one life and it, and to us, parts of it seem normal. And so until we can tell that whole story in the presence of others who are able to, to help us navigate it and maybe um, see things that we haven't seen before, it it may be difficult to know what kind of trauma we've experienced. But I mean, on the other hand, Uh, you could also listen to the definitions that Heather just gave us and say, well, I had something big that happened to me one time. That's acute. I had something little that just kept happening over and over. That was chronic. I had some trauma that came out of relationships. That was probably complex. So there are some basic frameworks to it, but I think to really identify uh, maybe the heart of this question, what are the traumas that are most impacting me? That's where I see the value of a group and Mm -hmm. at other times sitting with a counselor or therapist.
1: Yeah. The um, the thing that has stuck out to me in a group experience is that hearing other people's trauma helps me qualify what trauma I have. Um, and so there may be something that I thought was little t that wasn't a big deal, but I hear six other people in my group um, say the same thing and how impactful and meaningful and like how life altering this thing was. That will help me think, oh, maybe that is bigger than I assumed. Because I think that like one of the things I've heard you Heather say a lot is that our brain wants to stay healthy and wants to protect itself. And so oftentimes what I, what I have seen, what I've even experienced to a certain degree is that our brain will try to like minimize the damage of things that have happened to us so that we can function normal on a day-to-day basis i don't know the technical terminology and maybe i'm just making this (laughs) up but um if i am it's going to sound really really good so um but i think that that's what's interesting is when you hear these other people talk about it it's like oh no no that thing that i've minimized in my brain is actually a much bigger deal and what's nice is once we're able to identify that then we can start to address the wound or the the interpretation of that moment we can start to interpret sorry, we can start to address the wrong interpretations we have of that moment and start to bring truth um, and light to it.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes what, um, the group specifically, and especially when we're talking about peer desire groups and dealing with people who struggle with addictive behavior or who have experienced betrayal, that is a very specific niche of group, I think, where people mm-hmm. can expect that I'm going to be able to come here to this safe environment and I can talk about these things that other people will understand what I'm saying. Because I can't just go to ladies Bible study and talk about the trauma I experienced through my husband's sexual addiction, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. But I think that it really is intentional about bringing up all of these things that really are go together mm-hmm. with, with our behaviors and, and with how we respond to traumatic events in our lives, but it puts it in, in a place, a safe place where... We can just put it all out there mm-hmm. and without judgment or without any condemnation and yeah. find healing. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Nick, one of the things you mentioned was the idea that, or the fact that trauma can freeze us, can stick us in like Mm -hmm. a a specific place. And so um, I think with that, that comes like a lack of awareness that that is something that there's some wrong or trauma that we've experienced. So how would we know? I mean, I know that some of it in group can maybe happen, but how do we know if we have unhealed trauma in our lives? Big, little, chronic, whatever. Yeah, yeah.
0: this is a great question because it really does take a level of awareness to be able to recognize what we're feeling in the moment. Because a lot of us who've experienced trauma, especially if it was a long time ago, we tend to either shove it down or think, okay, well, I went through group one year and I dealt with that and and it's done and I never want to go there again, but yet our response to a situation. Might reveal that there's something else there, you know, and especially if we either um, respond in a way that doesn't match the situation or we end up responding in a way that doesn't match who we are. So like for me, a big indication that something that I still have a tender spot about something is if I get weepy. Because I am not by, in nature, I'm just not a weepy person. I don't cry a Growing
1: lot. up, she used to say, you hurt my feeling, like singular. <laughs> Heather's my aunt for anyone who doesn't know this, but she used to say that, you hurt my feeling.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so I know that if I'm talking about something and I start to feel weepy about it, that there's something there that needs to be investigated. And if I'm brave yeah. enough to do that, then that's where I'm going to find that maybe I do have an area that's unhealed.
2: Yeah. If if you think about it, what happens with trauma is our our brain learns from it and says, I've got to protect myself because this hurt and I don't want to be hurt again. And so it creates a limbic response being that inner brain that's responsible for our protection and and those human survival kind of instincts. And that part of our brain, and this is what I learned coming to Pure Desire 11 years ago that has been so helpful, that part of our brain doesn't keep track of time. It doesn't go, oh, that was five years ago. We can forget because the brain has identified it as synonymous with survival, and yep. this I will need to know forever. Yeah. And so we encapsulate it there and continue to have those limbic responses of fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. And as Heather informed us before this episode, <laughs> there are even more yeah. that now I have to learn about. And add how to many our other repertoire. F words can um, I come up with? But it. if you know if that's the system into it, trauma leads to protection, leads to a limbic response. Yeah. Then what we can do, what Heather's describing, is just reverse the process. Yeah. That if I see where there's a limbic response. Mm. Um, I can start to ask myself, you know, when I'm getting triggered by anger or I just want to run away or I just want to shut down and go to bed and ignore the world, when I'm feeling that, say, oh, what am I trying to protect myself from? Mm -hmm. And then ask the question, where might that have first happened where I learned that this is how I protect myself because I've experienced trauma in this area. And it could be something that happened a year ago, Mm -hmm. or it could be something that happened 40 years ago, because that part of your brain, like I said, isn't keeping track of time. It's just said, these are things I need to protect myself from. And so if we can follow the trail backwards, that can often reveal, um,
1: where we might be stuck in some unhealed trauma. One of the cool things about seven pillars of freedom and, and the other materials that we have, where it will help you dig under, Um, some of those overreactions or underreactions that you have in life. And it'll, um, in some of the exercises, you'll be asked to think about a time when you were growing up. And if you can remember everything about that experience, then it was traumatic. It had an impact. And I'm talking more on the negative side. Like I can think of a time where, and I'll just tell the story right now. I don't know, it seems silly because I'm gonna say it. People are like, well, that compared to my trauma, Trevor, that's nothing. So I remember, uh I don't know why I'm telling this story. I remember I went into the bathroom. I was maybe 10 years old. I was at grandma and grandpa's house. I went into the bathroom and everyone, for some reason, you know, when you were kids, you used to take all the old toilet paper rolls and tape them together and make them binoculars. And we'd like squeeze the end and make them swords and stuff like that. And there weren't enough for me to play. And so I went to the bathroom and uh, I used the right amount of toilet paper. I'm just being honest. That's what happened. The right amount of toilet paper. And I came out. And the toilet paper had been had it was gone. And so I took it. I brought it out. I like, oh, cool. I have one. You know, I have one of these rolls to play with. And my grandma came up to me and said, um, I can't believe that you would waste toilet paper just to get one of those. And it was just like, what? No, I didn't. Like I used the normal amount. It just so happens I now have a toilet I get to play with and go play with the rest of my cousins. I remember what she was wearing. I remember where we were. I remember how I felt in that moment. And that for me is proof that that was a traumatic and wounding experience for me. And so there are times now further down the road into recovery when I have uh, an experience that like basically pokes that wound, my brain goes right back to that moment. And so that's how, mm-hmm. like, and I still have a lot of healing I need to bring to that, that my needs matter and my experiences matter, which I've been told that lie a, f- a number of times in that moment specifically, that my needs don't matter. So, yeah, and mm-hmm. that maybe I use yeah. m- too much toilet paper, <laughs> but whatever. Like. No,
2: I think that's a great example <laughs> because many of us have stories like that. Like yeah. if we if we look at it in the context of our adult life, it's like, yeah. what well, it wasn't that big of a deal. But as a kid or in that moment it was, And it's part of it's just acknowledging it mattered to me and I I need to unpack why. And it also helps me know I should just be careful what I say to Trevor around the office. (laughs) You know, if he's coming out of the bathroom, don't make too many funny comments might trigger something. There we go. There we um, go. uh, Let's talk about it this way. How would someone know if they have unhealed trauma? And maybe especially for that person who's listening, kind of saying what we've been talking about, like. I don't think I've had much trauma. My life's been pretty good. How does unhealed trauma impact our lives? Because I think if we can look at how unhealed trauma impacts our lives, it may give us the motivation to go, oh, I I need to do some work here. So Mm -hmm. how could that unhealed trauma be presently impacting someone's life, even if they don't know it's there? Yeah.
0: Okay. And so you kind of uh, touched on this a little bit when you were talking about how our brain responds and we have this limbic response, but I'm going to take this a little bit broader. And, and just so that people understand that that, like you mentioned, that our brain was designed for survival, that our sympathetic nervous system, when we feel any form of threat at all, it is going to start to ramp up yeah. and it's going to give us everything that we need to either fight the threat or run away from it or freeze. And we won't talk about the other ones, but <laughs> but it's going to give us the, the energy and all the resources that we need to survive. Yep. And then once the threat is over, then our parasympathetic nervous system is going to put on the brakes again. It's going to bring our body and our brain back to this calm yeah. state because we feel safe. What happens when people experience trauma is that their sympathetic nervous system, it ramps up and it stays on. Mm. And especially if they are in a situation of chronic um, trauma or complex trauma, their brain doesn't ever that lever doesn't ever get shut off. And so they're chronically living, living in this, this heightened state of, yeah. of awareness and protection and not necessarily understanding where the threat is going coming from. And and all of these things create really a lot of chaos in our brain and in our body. And so I yeah. think that that's one of the things that, especially if we could tie it back to something that's happening or, or something that, maybe we weren't aware of it but now our level of awareness is growing and and we recognize it in our environment is really just to recognize what's happening in our brain and mm-hmm. body that's keeping us at that high high level yeah. and and even behaviorally that's going to look like sleep disturbances and eating disturbances and suspicious behavior and you know all of these things yeah. that aren't normally a part of our world but because our brain is stuck in this high alert Stage, we need to figure out why mm-hmm. because it wasn't ever intended to be stuck in this on position it 's right. not good for our body it 's not good for our survival really, yeah. and so it's figuring out that impact mm-hmm. that's really important yeah.
1: yeah um another example this isn't a toilet paper story I promise um, we get to the point um in uh, so i we have two young sons, and uh they have the needs of a four and a half year old and a one and a half year old Um, and what's interesting is kind of going back to the story with my grandma outside the bathroom in her house. I remember feeling like my needs didn't matter. And then I had kids and I realized that once you start having conversations with your kids, your needs really don't matter. And so what I've realized is, and I'm still, this is a current struggle for me right now. Is that if my son, specifically Brady, my four and a half year old, is doing something that's irritating to me, or even makes me feel disrespected, or like my needs don't matter, you can see my jaw is clenched and my hands are tight because I'm I like it is an overreaction, and it's something where like uh, just the other just the other night, I mean at at night we put him down, and if he needs to get up and go to the bathroom, he'll call us into the room like normal kids do for their parents. I'm fuming on my way down. It's like, don't you want, here's what's going on in my head. Don't you understand it's my turn now? I get to do what I want to do. I'm done caring for you. Why do you need me right now? Don't you understand? I have homework and I have a TV show to watch and I have sleep to get, right? And that's not what he's doing. He's not doing that. But for me, my brain associates it with that's what he's telling me. And so the way I treat even my kids or other people around me, my spouse, my friends, my community, my coworkers absolutely that's how trauma impacts that those day-to-day relationships is it shows up in ways where I end up hurting and wounding other people for something that they didn't do and they didn't intend to do. But yet my interpretation, it's like, well, it's, it's on, we got to fight. Let's go.
2: Yeah. That that's, there's a great quote here that I'm, I know exists and I just can't think of it, but it's like, (laughs) if we don't heal, we will bleed on those that didn't cut us. It, it's the idea of we will perpetuate on others, the pain that someone else inflicted. Yeah. And I think that's the motive for me of, of working on our trauma. It's that if, if I'm stuck in some trauma, I will react to my spouse, I will react to my kids just like you're describing in ways they don't deserve mm-hmm. and didn't earn. Yeah. because as you described, Heather, my brain is not in a healthy place. it's It's kind of in this heightened state of awareness, and I'm more concerned about self-protection than I am in a relationship. And I can lash out, I can be critical, I can be condescending, I can have harsh sarcasm. I mean, all yeah. the things that that I do in my personality, just like all of us do. But if I realize, man that that's really not even about them, it mm-hmm. feels so unfair. yeah, and it's so unjust that i'm I'm kind of putting on you what what wasn't even yours. I mean, and in every relationship, there's faults. you know, no one is perfect, and we might have instances where there's conflict with our spouse and kids that that they are responsible for creating some conflict. Yeah but our reaction is always um, our responsibility. And, And if I realize I'm reacting in a way that isn't consistent with who I am, then I've got to do some work so I don't hurt people that don't deserve yeah. or that didn't do anything to merit that kind of you know response for me. Not, not yeah. to say anyone ever deserves to be hurt, but yeah. you understand what I'm saying, that, that right. if someone is in direct conflict with us, you know, if, if you punch totally. me, you shouldn't be surprised if I punch back. Right. But if you look at me funny and I punch back, it's like, whoa, wait, <laughs> yeah. that's not a good response. So being right. aware of that and realizing if I don't deal with
1: it, I'm going to hurt my present relationships because of past wounds. Yeah. Um, maybe this is the quote, um, that you're thinking of. I heard one this morning on a podcast that what doesn't get, um, transformed gets transmitted. Um, and one of the things that came to mind as you were sharing, Nick, was, um, that if I don't heal that wound, what I will be doing over and over and over again in my response to my son in this is also wound him to where he's now going to have trauma. And it's probably going to be, um, I mean, at that point, like there's no like physical harm or anything that's happening, but it, it's not a love and compassion that I'm extending to him and, and a care for him. And so he's gonna learn that message that my needs don't matter. Dad doesn't care if I need to go to the bathroom or if I can't find my lammy or if I can whatever it may be. And so I end up traumatizing because of my own trauma and not dealing with it. I end up traumatizing and just perpetuating that same narrative in my kids' life. And that's uh frustrating and sad. And that's a huge reason why we need to deal with our trauma. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that awareness piece is huge. So
1: I wish awareness fixed it, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. by the way.
0: <laughs> so how then do we actually yeah. heal, bring healing to our trauma? What does that process look like?
1: Um, a great um, example in my life, uh, because it, it, the thing I'm, I'm going to describe is you need new experiences to replace the old ones. Um, I was sitting with my son. We were listening to worship music in our, in our house, and we're sitting on um, one of our chairs in our living room. And I don't even know why, but we just were listening to music, and my four-year-old came and sat on my lap, and we were just sitting there listening to worship music together. And we weren't saying anything. We were just we sat there for probably 15 minutes. And I cannot tell you, like I started crying just in the moment, um, feeling love for my son and feeling loved that he spent time with me. And in that moment, I felt something change. And I don't know if I could tell you tangibly, you know, how it has impacted it, but I know that I can think of that moment as a healing moment to um, this little boy who oftentimes feels like he doesn't care about my needs, does care about me. And so it's Mm -hmm. that replacement piece, uh, which I think is really, really important. And, you know, a huge way this plays out in Pure Desire is groups Mm -hmm. that you have been wounded in relationships so often in life, and yet. It is really going back into relationship where you get healed, and so it's that replacing. You, know, you think of unwanted behaviors. You think about betrayal trauma, things that have happened to you, and how you shared that in the past. Maybe at like the Bible study, and people are just like, "Oh, honey, we don't, we don't share that there." Mm-hmm. Like here, in that moment, it's not safe for me. That's what I learned. But if you go to a betrayal and beyond group, and it's like, "Oh, honey, we share that every single week." Like here we go. Um, and I think that what that does is that trains, retrains our brain and renews um, a sense that my needs do matter and that my experience and story do matter.
2: Yeah. In the seven pillars of freedom workbook, the last uh, pillar six deals a lot with this. And we've talked about it in our conferences, but um, there's four steps that I, I could simplify to say, you need to see it, name it, claim it, and then reclaim it and see it is just that process of like, I need to get out. I need to tell someone I need to write it out. I need yep. to tell the story. And as I tell the story, see it, then I can name it, say, this is what happened to me. I was hurt or I was abused. I was neglected. I was wronged. And then claiming it is accepting that that's that's part of my story now. It's not something I ignore or try to forget about, but I just I see the way God is integrating that into my current reality. And then the reclaim it is going to that next level of how can God actually use this for good, not mm. only in my life, yeah. but also then through me in yeah. the lives of others. And yeah. I think that's that's kind of a a process that sounds simple, but is not. I mean, that could be decades of work to see it, name it, claim it, and reclaim it. But I think we can recognize uh, uh, maybe some stages of where we may be that as someone's listening, they may just be in that place, they need to see it, they need to recognize it. Others may be able to recognize it, but they've never really owned and said, this is what happened to me. For others, it's now integrating it into their story, and yeah. then still others, it's making it a part of their future. And mm-hmm. so uh, we can kind of see where we're at, and that might give us an understanding of what our next step could look like. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: I also think that that sometimes, and especially somebody who has experienced a lot of trauma and has maybe a lot of unhealed trauma, that going to see a counselor is sometimes the best first step, because they might not be able to share their story with a group yet because they can't even make sense of their mm-hmm. trauma yeah. yet and they're still in that high alert yeah. stage and so even just going to a professional who deals with with what you're going through if it's trauma because of grief or if it's trauma because of betrayal or yeah. whatever it is that that you seek out some help first maybe just one on one to get that started
1: So we've talked about this um, in a number of kind of sideways ways throughout the conversation so far, but what role do other people have in the healing of our trauma?
2: Yeah, you know, we've heard Ted and Diane Roberts say this so many times, that we were wounded in relationships Mm -hmm. and were healed in relationships. It's it's rewriting that story. And that begins, honestly, first and foremost, in our relationship with God Mm -hmm. and through Jesus Christ, inviting him into those places in our trauma. Because that's what I find for a lot of people. They may know, you know, cognitively that Jesus loves them. But until they've seen their trauma and invited Christ into that trauma to say, how do you feel about this and where were you when this happened? and and they begin to experience the love of Christ in that place that's now a healthy relationship that changes the message of that trauma and and in a similar way the relationship we can have with other people you know is is often the way that the love of Christ is communicated to us because i may not really believe that god can love me in the places of my shame or brokenness and the the lies we've listened to there sometimes have been so deep for so long that it's Not until I tell others about it and what I get from them is love and acceptance that I start to realize like, wow, maybe God loves me too, because others still do. And then we're just, it's kind of the combination of the two, both experiencing the love of God and also experiencing love and affirmation through others, which communicates to us uh, to a degree, the love of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the most powerful things that can happen is when we're in group and we share something about our trauma or our story and somebody looks at us and their expression on their face, the tears in their eyes really, I don't know, validate the trauma that we've experienced. And it is really, really powerful in, I think, the healing process just to have that compassion and feel that empathy from others and and that validation that, yeah, this was trauma. And yeah, it makes sense of the way it impacted your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like keeping things in is just never helpful. Um, and assuming, you know, we've talked about this before, timing doesn't heal all wounds. And yet we, le- we learn that narrative or we somehow absorb that narrative from our family or from culture or whatever. And over time, we continue to have this limp and we're not really sure why and it's because we just assume those things would go away and so that's what's so beautiful about the the group experience that is that it um in the like most beneficial and loving way forces you to go down and figure out what's underneath um all your behaviors all the trauma and wounds you have
2: yeah so i i think we're emphasizing that healing isn't something we do in isolation Um, which means that you and I will be involved in other people's healing as well. So what role do we play in the healing of others? And maybe in particular, um, for our spouse, the person that we see, and for those who are married, that we see and know best, um, we may be aware of trauma that we would like them to deal with, or we'd (laughs) like them to heal. Um, What's a healthy role for us to play? And where do we need to maybe take a step back Hmm. and let it be their story?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, And I'm just going to use an example that is not tied necessarily to addictive behavior or betrayal trauma, but my husband, when we got married, he had shared some stuff about his past, and and I was going to school at the time and was learning so much about trauma and behavior, and we would talk about it, and and he would say, well, I don't have any trauma, and my eyes would go kind of big, like... <laughs> Dude, I I know parts of your <laughs> yeah. story, you know, and and so and he would say that all the time and and I finally I got to a point where I said, "So you don't think that your dad dying when you were 7 was trauma?" Hmm. No, I don't really even remember it. You know, that was his response. And and then time would go by and he would say that, "Oh yeah, I don't have any trauma." He would use that phrase and I'd say, "So you told me, I thought you told me that in junior high you were suicidal and And he's like, yeah, but that wasn't trauma. And I'm just like... Oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) because those are huge trauma things. That's not normal for a junior high person to be suicidal. And so it's taken years of just this, for me anyway, this soft approach, even though in the process I would say, you know, you might want to talk to somebody about this, (laughs) you know, because I'm not your therapist, (laughs) you know, I'm your spouse. And, but it just was, it took time and it's been probably the last five to seven years Mm -hmm. where he's come to this realization and, and even just seeing the way that those big trauma things that happened in not just in his life, but in his family affected his siblings yeah. and and his parents. And, and for him to have that level of awareness to now be able to say, oh, yeah, I have yeah. huge trauma from my past. But yep. but that many years ago, it for him, it wasn't trauma. And yeah. so I think that that process can be kind of long and hard, and especially if we see it in their life, and they are not yet to a point where they
1: see it. <laughs> yeah, I think the... The wrong answer here is to say, that's trauma. Don't you see that? You're stupid, right? Um, I think two things that come to mind are when we're able to share about our trauma and our wounds that we carry and the experience, you know, we're vulnerable and can let our spouse or let other people who are close to us into our lives and see that. I think that that helps them think through like, oh... Because if they've had a similar experience, they're gonna remember that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a manipulative thing. It's just something that, and we see this play out in group all the time, that you share your story. And as you're sharing your story, someone has another thought that comes to mind and it helps them on their journey. Um, and the other one is just asking questions. You know, I think almost like properly responding when someone says, like, when I was this age, this happened, not just be like, oh, you know, and move on. If it's a big deal and you know it would be traumatic, maybe it's like, well, what was that like for you at that age? And that's a really open-ended question that can help them maybe, it's almost like you're handing them the shovel and it makes it a lot easier for them to start digging. Um, but again, those two can be super manipulative. And so you got to be careful of that. But I think that those are two real simple ways that you can help people.
2: Yeah, we, we've talked about it a lot, but I think just the power of empathy, that when someone is sharing that we really try to enter in and feel their pain with yeah. them. We, we've also said a lot that we don't want to be shocked at someone's behaviors, right? but we do want to be appropriately shocked at their trauma and, and point out like, it is wrong that that happened to you. Yeah. And I am really sorry. And, or to say that is not the way god designed families to work or that was not what god had in mind for marriages or you know whatever happened but just to be able to state truth of like that wasn't right and and it's okay to call that out in a way of saying to them and i can exp- i can understand that what you're feeling yeah. must be really hard or difficult yeah. and yeah. and to not just you know we say oh it's important to listen yes listening is important but i think listening with our feelings and yeah. and being there with them there's something powerful um about that i i remember a story i read in a book of um I think it was Navy uh, specialists who were trying to rescue people out of combat situations and particularly hostages. And they were having these experiences when they would go to rescue hostages and they you know, barge through, they're like, come on, let's go out, out, out. Like people wouldn't move. Yeah. And, and they, what they realized in the process is that these hostages were so frozen in their trauma that what the specialists had to do is they had to get down on the person's level and like hunker down with them and, and cower and just say, you know what, it's gonna be okay. Would you leave with, you know, and, and in a very gentle yeah. way, invite yeah. them because then they entered into their world yeah. and how then, you know, they were able to execute their mission. And I so thought, good. what a powerful lesson yeah. of how, if I'm stuck in my shame and trauma and someone hears it and goes, oh, sorry, bro, let's move on. And, yeah. and kind of treats it dismissively or yeah. maybe they listened really well, but then we just move on. It can actually almost reemphasize the idea that, yeah, there's something really wrong with my pain yeah. versus people that take the time to crouch down and sit with us and get low and go, man. I understand where you're at and uh, and the difference that makes for us. Yeah, it's huge. Mm.
0: So how do we know then if we have areas of unhealed trauma?
1: I think one um, one of the ways that I think I've seen is that when I'm able to hear someone's story and use my experience, I think this is in line with the empathy piece, that I'm able to share, you know, I had an experience like that too. And this is how I felt. And these are the lies that I believed. And this is how it manifested in my life. And, and then share. And this is how I started to find healing for that. I think if we're able to confidently in and in an empathetic way share our trauma with someone else, there's some traction there. Um, because if there isn't any healing with your trauma, you are not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a, a way of connecting with people. Um, and I think what you were talking about with the reclaim. Like that's what comes to mind. Is that It's a way of, I'm reclaiming this really bad part of my story in order to help someone else and own that it is a part of my story, but use it as a tool to help this person gain more traction in their own healing.
2: Yeah. I think first we notice things that we'll hear ourselves thinking, huh, usually that makes me really angry. Why am I not getting angry? <laughs> yeah. Or usually I'm f- freaking out when this happens, or I'm getting super, super stressed and I'm not today. What it's like oh i've i've kind of identified the false lies there and i'm not jumping to the same you know mm-hmm. fearful conclusions and uh, that can be really encouraging when we see that happening but even more maybe the second thing that happens is others start to notice yeah when people close to us say how come you're not you know usually you get really angry about that yeah. right you know last time that happened with one of our kids you blew up at them and today you're yep. not is like Oh yeah, I'm I'm learning that I have a choice mm-hmm. to react differently. I don't have to just be stuck. And so I think looking for that and and really taking a moment to pause and celebrate like there's progress. Like <laughs> yes, I am not just going to be the same reactive, yeah. angry, you know, anxious person that yeah. I've been. Right. I, I can grow and move forward. And when we see that, say okay, I'm moving in the right direction. Now keep in mind it's not always going to be linear, mm-hmm. or is it linear? I always I'm smiling at Heather Ray Kinnear. Linear, linear. Uh, it's not going to be that perfect line yeah. moving up. Right. Uh, there's going to be steps back. There's going to be times we feel like mm-hmm. we're cycling background, and that's normal. But and um, when we do see those steps forward, to, to celebrate it yep. and realize there's growth here.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: I also think that when we share our story over and over and over again, and the first time we share our story in group or wherever, and it's really emotional, and we can barely get through it. And then over time, by the fifth time that we've shared our story, we're not as emotional. And even though we understand it, but there's been healing yeah. through that process. And then by the 10th time that we share it, we don't get emotional at all, but yet can just say, tell a coherent narrative mm. of what happened. And I think that those, that right there is evidence that your trauma is healing, that you're in that process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Totally. Totally. Um. Okay. So maybe someone's listening and they've worked on their trauma. They've identified it. They've gone through the four steps, Nick, that you talked about, experienced this level of healing, but still feel stuck. What should they do?
2: I mean, at that point, just like grab a pint of ice cream and just give up, right? I mean, like <laughs> go <whatever>. to town <laughs> on the cookie
1: no, dough uh, ice cream. Nice. Seriously
2: though, like uh, on that level, the first thing I would say is don't beat yourself up and shame yourself. Maybe you do need to just take a deep breath and eat a bowl of ice cream and be like, you know what? I'm still here. And, and I think the danger there is we tend to compare to others yeah. or our own expectations. We look back and say, I, I thought I would be further along by now. Um, and when we do that to ourselves, we just need to have the grace to realize I'm not helping. I'm, I'm actually putting more shame into the story and just prolonging the process. So give yourself that grace to say your healing is going to take as long as your healing takes. Yep. Um, and if you're doing group, if you're you know being open with friends, if you're telling your story and you feel like you've done some of those kind of foundational steps, That is really where if you've not sat with a trained therapist, that it's their job to walk with people through trauma. That'd be like a prime example, A, of why you should seek that out. It's when you get stuck, that's why they're there. And that's not an admission that you're weak or bad or not good enough. That's Mm -hmm. just recognizing there's something about my trauma that may be so hidden to me or that I have learned to kind of block for so long, or I have developed such you know, in such powerful coping strategies yeah. that my brain can't really see any other way to do it. Yeah, I'm probably not gonna figure this out without an expert that can kind of guide me mm-hmm. through something. So I think those two things, don't shame yourself and at some point really look to get professional help. Yeah, That's why mm-hmm. they're there. Yeah.
0: We were at an event. It was, I think the beginning of March in 2020. It was probably the week before the first COVID shut down, and there was just a small team of us um, at a peer desire event at a local college and and we were driving there and I started talking about this trauma that I was feeling that this and it wasn't anything that was big that was done yeah. to me or whatever, but it was I had noticed some things that in my behavior like a an exaggerated startle response, or something, some of these things that I normally don't do, but this thing was here. And so, and Bob Vandermeer, he was one of the people on the trip. And so I'm kind of just explaining where I think that who's this a is counselor, coming from. Yes, he's on our clinical team. <laughs> yes. And I was saying how, you know, this is, I know, I know where this is coming from. I know, but my brain keeps looping it around in the same track, yeah. and I'm not getting any like, resolution to it or closure. And I said, so I've been thinking about going to see a counselor. And he's like, oh yeah, you should. <laughs> I mean, right away, because he recognized that that there was something there, that mm-hmm. there was something significant and that I was even asking the questions to say, this is kind of what I'm thinking about. And yeah. and even though I could make sense of of it to a certain extent, there was a part of it that that I couldn't get past. And yeah. so I was going to need somebody who had specific special training to help me get past that whatever it was. And and then COVID happened and I haven't gone back I haven't gone to counseling, but it's but it's there. It's yeah. waiting because I still plan to do that because I know that it's something that will eventually get yeah. bigger and trip me up, and I don't want that to happen.
1: It's interesting you say it that way because I think sometimes there are some other things maybe we haven't worked on, other areas of life that may be catering to that stuckness that we don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And so if you've gotten some traction in a certain area and you you do feel stuck, like explore maybe some of those other domains of life or those other things that you want to work on and try to make those connections. Do you see like, well, my lack of self-care actually leads to this and you know this uh, maybe negative narrative that I just carry all day, all day. And if I were to do a little bit more self care, or get some more sleep, or change my diet, that maybe mm-hmm. some of those things would change. That's not like a silver bullet, but that is something that we can we can do. That we have control. We can control what we can control, and we can bring change to to different areas of our life, and maybe see that crossover, that overlap. Maybe can kickstart some stuff. Um, but what I hear both of you guys saying is inviting other people in is very, very important if you mm-hmm. feel stuck feel stuck. You're not going to get unstuck by yourself. Um, recovery is not a, by your, you know, pulling your bootstraps up as high as you can and get going. We know it's not a try harder, do better, pray more, love Jesus more things. So, um, Trauma is a real thing. Trauma is something that all of us carry, whether you realize it or not, your body even physically carries the trauma that you've been through in life. And if we really want to heal from addiction, if we do want to see that sexual brokenness uh, no longer in our life, if you want to heal from the effects of betrayal trauma, we have to heal trauma. Mm -hmm. So, Hev, thanks for being here. And this was a really good conversation, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah. Thanks, you guys. And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and drop us a review. It helps others find the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to healing and freedom. And lastly, never stop being helpful.